This evening's scripture is Judges chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Herosheth Hagoyim. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, and he had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidith, was judging Israel at the time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the people of Israel came to her for judgment. She sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinom, from Kadesh Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, Go gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking ten thousand from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun, and I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river of K- river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand." Barak said to her, If you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah rose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And Barak called out Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh. And ten thousand men went up at his heels. And Deborah went up with him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good evening, everybody. My name is Josh. I am the executive pastor at Grace. And as Bo said when we started, uh, this is the last week of fill-in for Jason. He plans to come back from sabbatical next week. So that's exciting. Uh, We all look forward to having him back for many reasons, not the least of which is that Bo gets a break, right? That's just one of the many important reasons that we're looking forward to Jason coming back. We are continuing in our series in Judges tonight, and we chose... We chose this title, Judges in Our Own Eyes, because at the end of the book of Judges, there is this comment made about the people of Israel that there's no king and everyone's doing what's right in his own eyes. And so that is true of them, and it's true of us and the people that we live in, in so much as there are lots of folks alive today who look to no authority other than themselves. And they do what's right in their own eyes, but don't consider what anyone else has to say, certainly not what scripture has to say. And so there's a degree to which when we read this at the beginning of Judges 4 that the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, it's not news to us. This is something that we're familiar with. We are familiar with a faithless land because we live often in a faithless land surrounded by faithless people. And yes, of course, that is true of the world. It's true of the people who don't claim Christ, but it's true of the church. It's true of us. We struggle with faithfulness as well. So we're going to talk tonight about what it means to live with faith in a faithless land. And we're going to look at these three examples in this passage. Deborah and Barak or Barak, and then also Jael, this woman who is mentioned later in this same story. These three examples of how you can be faithful or how you can have faith in a faithless land, and I'm going to give you a heads up right now, one of them is a bad example, right? One of them is what not to do. Two of them are what to do. But they're examples for us of how we can live when we're surrounded by faithlessness, even in our own homes, even in our churches, even in our own lives. Pray with me as we start. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would open our eyes to see your word with clarity tonight. 
Make clear your will for us so that we understand what to do with your word. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us through these women and this man. Show us how we can follow after you and follow in your footsteps even, Lord. Be your disciples in a way that glorifies you and that grows your kingdom. I pray it in your name, Jesus. Amen. So the beginning of chapter 4, we hear that Deborah is a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, that she's judging Israel, and that she is in a place where people can come to her. And I'm going to hold her up. I'm going to say that the scripture, in fact, holds her up as an example of faithfulness. She's in a faithless land. The chapter starts with this this, uh, admonition, this recognition that the people of Israel are doing what's evil in the sight of the Lord. This is what's happening. Okay? And so God raises up a judge, and this judge happens to be a woman. And there aren't many women in the Bible who are called into this position, but Deborah is. And there's nothing in Scripture that tells us that she is in this position simply because a man has failed. And there's some people who want to use this passage to talk about that relationship. If you want to talk about the roles of men and women, how men can fail, and how a woman can step in and do what a man ought to have done, I'm going to point you to 1 Samuel 25. So if you want to read about that, go to 1 Samuel 25 and read about what happens when David almost takes a man's life because the man won't give him food and how that man's wife intercedes. So go there if you want that conversation. But tonight, let's just talk about Deborah and how she is faithful, how she's an image bearer, how she's reflecting God's glory by doing what God has called her and gifted her to do. And so that's what Deborah is up to. She's being faithful. She's going to this place All the people of Israel are coming to her, and she's judging them. She's providing God's wisdom and counsel to them. So this is what you can do likewise in a faithless land, is you can be faithful with the gifts that God has given you, just like she is. You can listen to what he's telling you, and you can respond in the right way. So you can be like Deborah, speaking God's word under God's direction, dispensing his wisdom, accessible to the people, right? Available, open, trying to reach those who are not reached. That's an example of how you can be faithful in a faithless land. Deborah is more than that, though. Barak comes to her and says, if you'll go with me on this mission that God has called me to, if you go with me, I'll go too, right? If you'll go with me, I'll go. And she does not, she does not attack his weakness here, but she says, I will go with you. And so she's willing to walk alongside of him. And we're going to have to talk, we're going to have to tangle, uh, disentangle what it means for one person to be fearful, because I'm going to talk in a minute about how Barak is being fearful. He doesn't want to do the thing that God is calling him to do, and how you can be faithful and how those two can work together. But we have to disentangle them a little bit. Deborah is being faithful. Here is a weaker brother who is afraid, and so she is willing to walk alongside of him. This is Christ-likeness. We'll talk about Jesus in a few minutes, right, and how Jesus shows us all of these things himself. But this is Christ-likeness in Deborah, because we also are weak. And we are surrounded by people who are faithless, and we, some of, some of the time, we are the faithless people. We need brothers and sisters to come alongside of us who are being faithful, and who are willing to say, I will go with you when you're afraid. So I think Deborah here is an example of faithfulness. She is doing what God has called her to do. She's showing us what you can do when you're surrounded by faithlessness. Now, Barak is surrounded by the same faithlessness, and God has summoned him, and she says, Deborah says to him, has not the Lord 
the God of Israel commanded you, go and gather your men at Mount Tabor, and I'll draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army. So whether it happened before, right, out of the story, out of the narrative, whether it happened before that he received this call or he just now received this call, Deborah called him and she's made clear to him God's word, we don't know. We don't know what the exact timing is here. But what is clear is that it is evident to Barak what he's supposed to do, right? He knows without any, without any uncertainty, God wants you to do this thing. And so now Deborah is calling him kind of into account, right? She's holding him to his task that God has assigned him. And she says, hasn't the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you to do this thing? Isn't that true? Isn't that the status of your life right now that God is giving you something to do? He knows that it is, but he's afraid and he's waiting to be faithful. And what he doesn't understand is that faithfulness here is a choice, just like fear is a choice. So I'm going to turn over to 1 Timothy. If you have, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy. If you have a Bible and you want to turn there, you can turn with me. But I'm going to read to you what Paul says to Timothy because it's helpful. There's a choice in front of Barak here. There's a choice in front of all of us when we're surrounded by faithless people. We live in a faithless land. We're trying to exercise our faith. We can choose to be fearful. We can choose fear. That's a possibility. But in, somehow I got the wrong marker. There we go. But in 2 Timothy, Paul tells Timothy, he says, listen, don't do that. Don't choose fear. Instead, instead do this. Starting in verse 5, he says, you have this history of faith from your mother and grandmother. And then verse 6, he says, for this reason, I remind you, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So see the choice that Barak has and see the choice that you have. You have a choice when you are presented with the things of this world to either fear them and choose fear or to choose the Lord and to choose the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, which is marked by God's power and his love and self-control, which is ultimately what we need, right? When we are fearful, we are afraid. We need power and love and self-control. And so Paul is instructing Timothy. He's saying, don't choose fear. But Barak chooses fear. And why does he choose fear? Well, because ultimately, I think he's looking to others for approval. You see, Deborah is the one who's been given the ministry of teaching to the people. She's been given the ministry of being the judge. And so she's sitting there under a palm and Israel is coming to her and she has recognition. And Barak, as far as we know, doesn't. It's possible that in his own hometown, he has recognition. It's possible that other people know him. And we know that um, in Hebrews, right, it actually it actually mentions him as in that hall of faith. He's called out as somebody who actually does exercise his faith. So he has some renown, but she seems to have more. And it looks like, in the text at least, it looks like he is waiting for her approval to come along with him so that all of the people will recognize his authority. And God says, don't wait. Don't be fearful. Don't be afraid of mankind. Choose me. So he's looking to others for approval and support instead of trusting the Lord to be who he is and to do what he says he will do. This is the same God that called Abram when he was in a different country and said, I'm going to make you a people. I'm going to bless all the nations of the world through you. This is the same God who took that people out of Egypt, 
right, with massive display of power and brought them to the wilderness and brought them into Canaan, gave them the homes that they're in right now. It's that same God. So Barak should know who this God is and what he can do, but he chooses fear instead. And so that leads to missing out on the good that God wants to give him. This is how it reads in the book of Judges in 4.9. It's just a little, just a little thing here. But notice in 4.9, it says this. And she said, that's Deborah, says, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory. For the Lord will, tell, will sell, I'm sorry, sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. And what exactly is meant by the glory there that he would receive, we don't know, but it's a good thing, right? It's good that God wants to give him. And he's going to miss out on it because he was afraid. He was not willing to choose God, the God he knew. Instead, he was afraid. And it looks, yeah, it looks fairly uh, obvious that this is a bad choice here. But most of us do this on a regular basis. Most of us have this battle within us frequently, right? Where we see something, like a child, sees something at a store that's worthless. Have you ever been shopping with a child and they want to buy a worthless thing? Have you ever experienced this? Do you remember going shopping with your parents when you were younger and your parents wouldn't buy this ridiculous thing and you thought it was the best thing ever? And they knew that what would happen is that you would purchase that thing and forget about it before you got home. You would end up crammed between the seats of the car forever, right? That's your estimation. That's our estimation of good, right? And God says, no, I have better things for you, but you can't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Trust me. And Barak chooses not to. So remember I said that we've got to disentangle this, right? That Deborah is being faithful, choosing to go with him, to walk alongside of him in his fear, And yet he's being fearful. He is choosing what God doesn't want him to choose. Both of those things can happen, right? God is gracious to us in giving us each other, brothers and sisters, to walk alongside of us when we're fearful. But he doesn't want us to be fearful. He doesn't want us to choose those things that are less than what he would choose for us. He wants us to listen to him. He wants us to have the, the good things that he would give us. So we can be like Deborah or we can be like Barak or it can be like jail. So let's read about the last part of this story, which I didn't have Andrew read because Andrew has a lovely reading voice and we don't want him to read about this with his lovely voice. It's going to get graphic here in just a second. Spoiler alert. Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of jail. So Sisera is the leading, he's the leading military commander of the folks that the Israelites are fighting, right? And he has 900 iron chariots. And as far as we can tell from the next chapter, which is the song of Deborah and Barak, As much as we can tell, God causes a flash flood to come at this river where they're having the battle, and all the chariots get stuck in the mud. And so the Israelites overwhelm their enemies, and now this guy is on the run. And he flees to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, who was there. And there was peace between Jabin, that's Sisera's king, and the house of Heber the Kenite. And Jael came out to meet Sisera and said, turn aside, my lord, don't be afraid. And so he turned aside, went to her tent, and she covered him with a rug. And he said to her, please give me a little water to drink for I'm thirsty. And so she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. And he said to her, stand at the opening of the tent. If anyone comes and asks you, is anyone here? Say no. She's already covered him with a a rug, right? But he wants to make sure. Jael, the wife of Hebert, then took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand. And she went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness. And so he died. 
All of a sudden, things just took a hard turn, right? What's going on in this story? Let's talk about this a minute. This woman, Jael, she comes out to meet Sisera and she says to him, turn aside, my Lord, don't be afraid. Have you ever told somebody not to be afraid because you were afraid? You were told a younger sibling to not be afraid, but you yourself was the one who you knew was afraid? I think that's what's going on here. Imagine that you're a woman and you're standing by your home and this army commander comes running by and you can tell that he's frantic and you can tell that he's a dangerous man because he's frantic. Is your first thought, hey, I should invite this guy in the house when your house is a tent? Is that your first thought? That's a safe prospect, right? Let's, let's take this marauding warrior and just invite him into the house a minute. That's not your first thought. I think she's terrified but I think she does this because she's listening to the voice of the Lord and God has chosen her to be his judgment on Sisera. And so don't hear me say this is not an instruction on how to treat your enemies, right? Do not invite them into your home and put 10 pegs through their heads. You did not hear that here. But do understand that she is fearless because she knows something. I think she knows something that is true about God, which is that he provides courage and strength to those who trust him. Now, we don't know this for certain. We know that her deeds are held up as faithful. We know that if you read the song, uh, the next chapter, the song of Deborah, you see that she's praised for her actions. And so we get the commentary in scripture that this was the right choice, that she made the right choice. She was God's chosen instrument of justice. But how would she know to trust God? Well, her husband, her husband is part of the family of Moses. And even though they're not part of Israelites' tribes that are at war with this king, she has that heritage as well. So it is very likely that she knows who God is and what God does. And so let's turn to Joshua 1, 5 through 9, because this is how God is talking to himself, to the people of that time about who he is and about what he does. If you have a Bible, turn over to Joshua What I'm going to read in Joshua 1, you can find similar things in Deuteronomy. You can find similar things in Hebrews. And you can find similar things in the Gospels. And we're going to read those in a minute too. So understand that Jesus says this. God says this in multiple ways. We hear this throughout scripture. But in Joshua 1, he says it this way to Joshua, starting in verse 5. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you and I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Don't turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I cannot show you in Scripture where it says that J.L. read these words, okay? But I can show you in Scripture where she's commended for her actions, where she has been fearless in the power of God. 
And these are the words that God uses to show us how we can be fearless, how we can not be afraid of the things of this world, the things that truly scare us, not just the things that make us uneasy, but the things that made us, make it hard for us to exercise our faith. And remember that Paul lays it out as a choice. He says, listen, you are going to choose fear, Timothy, or you're going to choose the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is being offered to you with the power of God and the love of God and the self-control that comes from having God in you. So if you would rather not be fearful, if you want to be fearless, do it this way. Choose my spirit. Be strong and courageous in me. This is the choice that's being held out for us. This is the example that we see in Scripture. So here are the examples from this passage in Judges. Faithfulness, fearfulness, and fearlessness. And you've probably heard this many times before, but when God says courage here, it's not without recognition of your fear, it's in rejection of your fear. It's not, again, it's not as though you can't be afraid, it's you choose to reject that fear and choose him instead. So these are the examples that we see. But those are the examples that we see in Judges. And sometimes it can be hard to apply these Old Testament examples. Like I said, I don't want anybody to walk around thinking they need to go out and buy a tent peg and a hammer and look for their enemies, right? That's not the right application. So what is the right application? Where do we see these things in other places in Scripture? Well, in Jesus' life, in Mark 1, 14 and 15, John is arrested, Jesus comes to Galilee, and he proclaims the gospel of God, and he says, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. In a faithless land, where people are sinning just as they were in the time of Judges, just as they are today, Jesus comes into the land and he says, repent and believe. The kingdom of God is at hand. Like Deborah, before him, he speaks the words of God and he offers the judgments of God and he holds out God's gift freely to the people. And so we also can do this just as Jesus did it. And I know that this is a time of fear as well because John has just been arrested. John the Baptist is out by the Jordan River. He's baptizing. People are coming to him. And he, he looks like a prophet. He looks like possibly the Messiah. And then all of a sudden he's arrested and then he's beheaded. And the disciples of John, the disciples of Jesus are afraid. But Jesus is out proclaiming the word of the Lord. And so he's faithful in a faithless land. And then Jesus at the end of his life has this moment in the garden. And you've, you've probably all heard this story, right? Where Jesus is despairing of his death. He's worried. He's anxious. Even under sweating drops of blood, he's so fearful. And yet, unlike Barak, he doesn't choose fear, but he chooses the Spirit of God. And he says, God, I want your will to be done. My will is that this wouldn't have to happen because I made people, right? He's the creator God. He knows what it means for them to torture him and to kill him on a cross. He understands that better even than the people doing it. And he says, I know what that's going to mean. So I don't want this to happen, but God, if it has to happen, give me your Holy Spirit's power. Let this be your will and not mine. And so Jesus shows us how we likewise can choose not to fear, but choose God's will instead. He's confronted with fear, but he submits to his Father's will instead. And then finally, <clears throat> we see that Jesus, after he has risen, comes to his disciples and he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And this is the ultimate example 
right, the ultimate text, if you want, the, the passage in scripture we should turn to for why should we no longer be afraid? Jesus is constantly telling his disciples, don't be afraid, right? Why should we no longer be afraid? Because he says, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. There is nothing that can stand against me. I have authority over all things. The gates of hell won't prevail against me. Death is conquered. Nothing can stand in my way. No fear that you have can stand in my way. And so he says, go and make disciples. Tell them this. Teach them to obey everything that I have commanded. And behold, remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Just like he told Joshua, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Just like he told Israel in Deuteronomy, just like the scripture tells us in Hebrews, I'm always with you. Not only do I have authority over everything, not only does everything bow to me, but I'm not going to leave you. And we know how important this is because one of the things that we fear most is being alone. And if there's anything, right, that's motivating us in this life, uh, any fear that's driving us, it is that fear of being alone. We want people to recognize us and know us and love us. And Jesus is here saying, I'm never going to leave you and I'm never going to forsake you. So this is fearlessness, right? It's not just being brave, but it's also rejecting the source of fear. It's not looking to seek judgment like Jael did, right? She did what was right uh, as God called her to in that moment, but it's following Jesus who, who doesn't come with a weapon, but instead submits to have his hands and his feet nailed to a cross, right? If there's a peg being driven, it's through him for our sake. And so fearlessness here is not about, hey, we can be brave and we can do this thing. It's about Jesus having done what we need done for us on our behalf so that we don't have to worry about anything. So we don't often ask people at uh, Grace to make a choice, but I'm going to ask you to make a choice tonight. We're going to have communion, and you're going to have the opportunity to come up and participate in this gift. And I want you to see it as a choice, not to necessarily give your life for Christ, though if you haven't haven't done that, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you want to, make that choice. That's an amazing choice. But choose Christ. Choose him, choose his Holy Spirit instead of fear. Instead of doubt, instead of worry, choose to be faithful. Choose fearlessness because you know that Jesus has conquered sin and death. And understand what he's giving you. In, in Brock's case, we don't know exactly what glory he would have received for going on this mission and doing this work. But God just says, you're not going to get it anymore. The, the appreciation, the value is going to somebody else. But we do know what waits for us if we follow Christ, and that's everlasting life. And I want you all to choose that as well tonight because that is the greatest possible gift. We make too light of it in our society, in our, in our culture, even in our church culture. We don't talk enough about heaven. What's heaven? What good is that, right? So I don't die. Life is miserable. I don't want to live forever. But we misunderstand what we're being offered, not this life everlasting but true life everlasting, life without pain and without sin and without death and without loss and without grief, 
life where we get to do what we were intended to do and be who we were intended and designed to be. That's the gift of everlasting life, that we might grow and make and create and write music and sing songs and build things and develop, right? Things that we can't even begin to imagine doing now, doing to their fullest because death is gone. So that's the gift that's being held out. That's the glory that God wants us to participate in. It's his glory, right? But we get to participate in it for our good because he loves us. And so when I say I want you to make a choice tonight, that's what I'm asking you to consider doing, is make this choice to embrace everlasting life, to be faithful to this God because he loves you. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for tonight, for the opportunity to study uh, these women of faith and this man, Lord, who ultimately had faith, but he was afraid. Lord, help us to see how we don't have to choose fear, but we can choose instead everlasting life with you. Choose to believe that you are, in fact, the God who has conquered sin and death and that there is nothing that stands in your way and that we need not fear anything of man because you have all authority in heaven and earth. Lord, help us to be faithful in a faithless land when all of the world is against us, when we are against ourselves even. Help us to be faithful to you and to choose you and to choose your Holy Spirit tonight that you have offered to us freely. Lord, thank you. We praise you. Help us to enter into communion with you now with pure and sincere hearts. I pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.